I would like to thank everyone who supports this podcast. Because of you, I'm able to work with David Bilbrey to create interviews with a different voice, and to send him to places like the Regen 18 conference, where he can continue to explore the ways we can leverage capital to create a regenerative, permaculture-infused future. If you're not currently a financial supporter of the show, you can continue to grow and spread the message of permaculture on an ongoing basis at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast, or by making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash permaculturepodcast, or by dropping something in the post. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. In this short interview, David Bilbrey, co-host of the Permaculture Podcast and founder of Ecothinkit.com, sits down for an in-person interview with Joel Solomon, which they recorded at the Regen 18 conference in May 2018. Joel is the author of The Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism, and also the chair of Renewal Funds. That work, and Joel's thoughts on what we can do to create a more equitable world, form the basis of his time with David as they look at what we can do to influence politics and economic systems today and into the future. Enjoy this conversation, and I'll join you again afterward. Joel, welcome. Thank you. So we're here in San Francisco at the um, Regen 18 conference. And uh, first of all, uh, I'd like to learn just a little bit more about you. So you talk about what, you, what brought you to this work and what type of work you do. I'll leave off the earliest part and just say when it became time for seek and search and figure out the meaning and purpose of life, a key thing was I ended up at the Farallones Institute, 1978, West Sonoma County, for a French intensive biodynamic gardening course. I can't really tell you for sure what all of that meant, but it was influenced a bit by Rudolf Steiner. It was influenced by the modern organic gardening movement, French market gardens, uh, formal English gardens. Anyway, it was basically a holistic view interplanting deep, deep double dug beds, don't crush the soil, pay attention to the cosmic elements, that kind of thing. From that, really, I, fi- I started to make some sense out of how I could look at the world, having grown up in a successful son of an immigrant, built a business, made some money. But I didn't know how that wasn't going to fit for me. So using the principles of the natural world really gave me a grounding that I could hold on to through life. And I could look at business, money, finance, politics, all of it that way. And so that's how what I've done for the last 35, 40 years since then. So using the principles of the natural world in finance? Really in everything. Okay. In other words, modern times have taken uh, and, and done reductionism and made things too black and white and uh, too simplistic. And my organizing strategy at this point is to try to look at the ecosystem. I focus regionally in British Columbia now, but that means business and investment, finance, what can money do on the business side, not-for-profit, charitable, activism, and then leadership through learning personal skills first, psychological, emotional, spiritual. In addition to that is... um, well, I said that leadership development, but then public policy and politics. I believe ignore politics at our peril. And so those are the four elements for me that make a way to look systemically at the socio-political economic frame that I'm or situation that I live in. Mm-hmm. And so I'd have to say more to explain it, but that's uh, that's how 
Okay. I think about the world. So uh, let's start with the personal work that you mentioned there. How does one make the, the paradigm shift into that? Because I think you have to start there to, to change society That's right. and, and systems. So where do you start? Well, our first job is to look at ourselves and figure out uh, where where's the blind spots, what motivates us, what scares us, what holds us back. You could say the modern psychotherapy meets meditation, yoga, the spiritual practices, then meets work in the world. And so in order to be effective as a parent, as a partner, as an owner, as a leader, you're going to face conflict, you're going to face doubts, things aren't going to work out how you want all the time. And so the skills needed for that, that one stays maybe even more steady and peaceful as challenges come in the mm-hmm. face of chaos, that's a skill that's worth gold. And no business school is teaching it to us right now. No engineering school is teaching it to us right now. And so it's a big gap in society, and it's creating a kind of a whole wave of people that are leading and making the decisions that are actually mostly living from the neck up. Right. So who is teaching this? Are there any books or particular people that you uh, would recommend? These are perennial skills at one level. The modern psychotherapy movement made a big difference. I'd credit Esalen 60 years ago, 55 years ago, which was willing to experiment with that and bringing some European thinking around psychotherapy and the hum- and human potential and what makes up a successful human. I got involved with a kind of a cousin of Esalen, brother-in-law of one of the founders went up to Canada and wanted to find a more remote location to do like six month and year long deep trainings. Mm-hmm. And uh, they started a place called Hollyhock. I'm sorry. They started a place called Cold Mountain Institute, which lasted for 12 years till the founder died. And it was doing that very deep work, kind of tear, breaking people down mm-hmm. and, and, and building them back up with the goal to build them. And uh, Hollyhock moved into a, a it, w- when Cold Mountain fell apart, a group of Greenpeace folks and human potential characters bought this, this land because of the location and the history and brought it back as an educational retreat center. So that's now 36, 37 years ago. And I, I was involved then as a volunteer in the beginning. I eventually became a partner and then I've been board chair for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we put on about 100 programs a year, and they range all these topics that we've mentioned now. So if you, if you come there over time as a lifelong learning deal, you can go from the very philosophical to the practices to actual practical. Mm-hmm. And so that is our way of supporting the region and beyond with people that might be broader and more balanced in their look at what it means to be alive and do mm-hmm. things. What you were saying reminds me, Otto Scharmer, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he talks about to to create systemic change, the state of the change agent or the person, the leader is the critical step because it makes a huge difference in the outcome of a meeting or a movement. I believe it deeply. I've seen it in my my own life trajectory going from lots of anger, hostility, frustration, disaffectedness to starting to get in terms with where did that actually come from? Mm-hmm. Did I really want to greet the world that way? Did I want to live that way? And finding, I think, more peaceful, harmonious, happy, joyful way to live while still being deeply in the world, but learning how to navigate in a more kindness, generosity, uh, caring, and also be able to make decisions and make tough choices. Regenerative psychology. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think it is. Yeah, creating resilient human beings. Yes. That makes sense. So how does that translate into affecting changing politics? Well, 
we need a wave of people who are actually whole people and who understand that politics is actually affecting you can cuss about it and you can, you can say it's all the same or it's it's all corrupt and that's i think it's foolhardy to take that attitude because we've just watched the biggest tax heist probably this century in the US ripping money out of the people who can least afford it and handing it to those who least need it and there are decisions being made every day that are affecting my life and your life in ways that we don't even pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And if you look clo- okay, so the point is it has a lot of power and it matters. So we need the best people, the best human beings to be willing to be tough enough to go in there and deal with the criticism and the challenges of making decisions with groups of people because otherwise we are handing over the protection of the commons to the people that least understand and care about the deeper longer. So how does one enter into politics, especially American politics, when it's so co-opted by corporations and lobbies? Well, the entering question is being answered right now by the massive wave of new people going in and running for office. There's a huge surge in in women candidates. We're going to see a new face of Congress after this next election, I hope and, and firmly believe. And politics is a game of compromise. And those of us that are do-gooders tend to get very purist in our ideals and our ideology about it. And we don't have such an easy time compromising, despite all the talk we do about living collaboratively and collaborative decision-making. But we need very small pools to do that with. So let's translate all that wisdom and high-mindedness to what did Barack Obama face when he walked in and they sat him down for the first briefing? Meanwhile, we're taking shots at him all of our politicians, for everything they do that's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But running, managing large systems and having responsibility for a citizenry is not easy. Okay, so it's not easy. So therefore, we back away and we just hand it over to the pirates? That's silly. Are there any people you can think of that are good examples of, that are working in politics? I'm not going to name them. Well, not necessarily any, naming a name, but yeah, just like a... I would, I would say there are incredible people that are devoting themselves to going in and figuring out how to keep their values and their center and make the wisest decisions that they can, given the challenges. I don't think it's any different down at the uh, farm level or the uh, small business level. If you are taking a leadership role, you're deciding how much people get paid. You're deciding all kinds of things that uh, if you keep the system small enough, you can kind of get away with it. If you keep a system small enough, then you can work as a co-op or as a collaborative and make those decisions together. However, the world has a lot of big systems and we should, we need to have the best of us. If not go in all the way, like I don't believe I'm ever going to run for office, but I make a point to understand who's the best of the people that are up there. How do I get involved in a long term so that I'm actually helping them stay more grounded and stay to be better people because they have support that is there to hold them when they have to take a lot of shit mm-hmm. or when uh, you know times are tough. So I think they're good people all over politics. My best friend ran for mayor of Vancouver, put together a uh, coalition of center, left, and green, and swept power from the power structure that had been in for 50 years. They've been governing for three terms. They have to make decisions. Our best allies often will disagree with something or something like housing prices are going up because the city's successful. You can't solve all that. Uh, so you you got to be strong. You take a bit of a beating. 
But the agenda of what has happened and how effective that it has done and how many systemic changes are being made, not solving everything, not perfectly, but so much better than Mm -hmm. what was. That's encouraging. Well, we've only got a few more minutes today. We'll have to follow up for a longer form interview after the conference. But um, I guess in closing, uh, would you like to just talk a little bit about the uh, clean money revolution? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So I wrote a book called The Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism. A bit grandiose, possibly pompous, but the, right now we got to step up. we got to step up. The things are moving fast and the world's hitting really dangerous places. So I said, you know, put out a big statement, and the purpose of the book was several fold. One is, I remembered how hard it was for me to find my direction and find models that I could believe in or at least be influenced by. And so I wanted to share whatever it is my privilege has given me and, and just share that. I've definitely made a point to be non-normal, and I needed those kind of models to help me get there. So number one was, was that. Number two is there's a movement underway. This movement is starting to understand that money has our name on it. It's affecting people and places, how it comes to us and what we do with it after we have it. What are we buying? What's the chain of supply chain and how are the employees being treated? What are the side effects? Again, we're not going to find perfect, but the more that it is our commitment to find the best that we can and move towards it, the better. There's trillions and trillions of dollars in the world now. There's trillions that are passing hands just through death. In North America alone, it's estimated at least 50 trillion in the next three decades. There is enough money to solve most of the challenges, but the willpower, the clarity, the stamina, the determination, the understanding of how it works is where we're falling short. So I wanted people to get a sense of this movement. It's not an academic taxonomy, but I did a taxonomy of 35 years ago, the first organization I got involved with that leads to this one we're at today. There's a wave of really fascinating change makers within every different niche and every different combo, locally, nationally, globally. These these kinds of uh, organizations are, are, are springing up and also new ways of doing things are happening from it. So there's a movement and it is going to capture, recapture the meaning and purpose of money and steer a lot of it into things that matter and are about the long-term future of civilization, rather than how do I make the quickest buck I can now and don't worry about the consequences. Third part of the book is the moral and ethical call to action. And it's basically, there's blood on this money. We've been given permission to ignore it. That's wrong. We've got to recapture it. We need a feminization and indigeneity and inclusivization of an economy that is reinvented from top to bottom for cleaner, greener, more fair, and prosperous. And that can be done. We just need money to flow properly, not get too bottled up and too concentrated on things that are very damaging, just like happens in nature. You know, model of economy based on natural systems, we're all going to debate what that means, let the games begin. It's our best chance that many generations are going to succeed us and have at least as good a chance of a good life as we've had. So flow, when you said that, it makes me think about what, what is money? Really, it's a form of energy. Form of energy. So when something gets stopped up or snagged in nature, it's usually not a good thing. Yeah. So same thing with money. When we have 
million and billion dollar stacks that aren't moving. I mean, that's the cause of the disparity between the rich and the poor. So how do you keep get money flowing through more of the economy and more of the uh, of humankind, I guess, is really kind of one of the keys. I think concentrated money is the most toxic substance on the planet. I think the tighter it gets held and the more of it that's there, it does damage to the spirit, the soul, the relationships of the person that's holding it. Mm-hmm. Some can pull it off okay. Mostly they become very damaged emotionally and psychologically. So money's meant to flow around. I like to say to people, I'd like a billion dollars, but I'll get it out the door in a month. It'll make your head spin how fast I can get that money out to things that matter. That should be the use of money. Sure, think about my own security. Be sure I'm not a burden when I'm old. You know, take care of my kids. Do all, Make your list. of How much is enough, though? And why? And then after that, what are you going to do with money? And what are you going to do with it while you're holding it to be sure it's cleaner than more damaging? That's one key point. Uh, I forgot the second one. <laughs> I was going to say. But the point that matters to me the most is money is an energy form. It should move around. It can do tremendous good. If you've got a vision and a truth about good inside you, you will know how to use it as a positive force that helps make people's lives better, helps take care of the ecology better, and that uh, helps us build a, a safe future. I know what the second point was. Politics. Those people decide so many things. From There was taxation. There's regulation. We should have government is responsible for the commons. That's actually what exists for us to look after the commons. Well, if we leave it to people that are basically working for concentrated interests so that they can make some more money and lock it up, then our bad kind of deserve what we get. Step up, get on it. So flow of money and managing of the commons or a retaking of the commons? Yeah, we got to set regulations. Al Gore said this one really well. The atmosphere is not a sewer for carbon. Should not be a, a sewer for carbon. Just like the rivers shouldn't just be toxic waste carriers. That's a regulatory question. Right now, the U.S. is stripping apart its environmental laws. Going to roll back uh, auto emissions. Going to get rid of uh, regulations on toxics and streams. Going to you know, make workplaces less safe. That's politics. So, assuming we get somebody different in uh, the next go-round, how easy or hard is it to reverse some of the stuff that's happened in the last year? Pretty hard, unless there's a sustained movement over time. The president of the United States is symbolic in a way, because it's not one, it's all those legislatures and town councils and, and committees. And, and you know, we have, to, we have to take responsibility for the places we live in, and we've got to offer ourselves in responsibility. And if we really don't believe in it or we don't have the, we're not made to do that kind of thing, then at least be kind and try to understand what it's like for the people that are going to take that responsibility for us. If we drop out and just lob stones at them, we're going to have to find further and further places a way to drop out or it's going to catch up with us. And that was Joel Solomon author of The Clean Money Revolution, and chair of Renewal Funds. Find out more about him, his book, his work, and legacy at joelsolomon.org. You'll of course find a link to that and other resources mentioned in the show notes. 
What I like about this brief introduction to Joel and his ideas is that we have an imperative to take action. To not let the perfect be the enemy of the good, but rather engage in the messy work of doing something, whether that means supporting from the sidelines or getting into the game ourselves. Both of those are common themes in recent episodes of the podcast, and my own work in particular, about finding our passions and stepping up to actively engage to be part of the solutions. What are you doing to make a difference? Whether that's planting a garden and sharing food with your neighbors, organizing a community food forest, or running for elected office, I'd love to hear from you and know what you're working on each day to create the world you want to live in. Call 717-827-6266, email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or write The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. As this episode is part of an ongoing exploration of the intersection between business, economics, and permaculture, David plans to have a longer follow-up interview with Joel and the other speakers he met at Regen 18. If you have any questions you would like to hear in one of those conversations, reach out to David directly by emailing david at thepermaculturepodcast.com. From here, the next regular episode is a conversation with The Mud Girls, a women-run natural building collective from British Columbia, Canada. Until then, spend each day taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.